0: So the, the number one question that was outvoted, that was submitted is, what are Preston and Justin's thoughts on individuals born with ambiguous genitals or abnormal chromosomal makeup, not X, Y, or X, X? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you want
1: to go first?
2: I sure, go first? I, sure. Um, so, right, so intersex is the term uh, that's used for folks who... Uh, are, are, you know, normally we think about uh, males have XY chromosomes and have, uh, you know, certain genitalia and certain hormones and females have XX and different genitalia and different hormones. And there are lots of different conditions in which those don't all line up the way that they normally do. And so somebody may have Uh, chromosomes that we normally associate with one sex, but external genitalia that we would normally associate with uh, the other sex or whatnot. And there are a whole bunch of different conditions, and they're collectively grouped together under the term intersex. Um, There are a lot of things that could be said about it. Um, I would argue, I know you're going to disagree with me. You don't know know that. (laughs) I would be surprised.
0: <laughs>
2: Surprise me, Preston. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I would argue that uh, the fact that, that, that intersex conditions exist is evidence that gender is not such a uh, clear-cut, uh, super-important uh, thing to God that... Um, that everything else needs to, to hang on that. So, so for me, if you say that when a couple gets married, that either that marriage is a beautiful, holy thing that we should celebrate, that's blessed by God, or it's something disgusting and immoral and sinful and maybe puts them in danger of, of hell as a result of living in unrepentant sin. And the only difference between those two is the gender of the partners. If you're gonna say that, that says that gender is like super, super, super important to God, and if that's the case, then I, the fact that intersex folks exist, uh, some of whom are, are good friends of mine, it really makes me it makes really makes me question all that. Uh, there's a lot that could be said there, but that that, that would be my short answer.
1: You're right. I do you disagree with some stuff there. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Yeah, I think the intersex question is often thrown out very broadly without getting really specific. So when people ask, what about intersex? I always say, well, which of the 16 to 20 conditions are you talking about? So like late onset congenital adrenal hyperplasia, which affects quite a number, one in a 100-ish people. You know, some of the symptoms are 10% of women have a larger than average clitoris, room stopper, um, and 50% of men have a kind of receding scalp. Oftentimes there's infertility. There's no ambiguity in whether this is male or female. There's another condition called micropenis, and I'll let you fill in um, the blanks of the symptoms of that condition. Um, Kleinfelters is another popular one, which is the presence of an extra X chromosome, so XXY. The conditions there are full male anatomy, Um, sometimes the testicles are slightly smaller, and uh, oftentimes, ah, maybe above 50%, there's infertility. Sometimes, oftentimes, people with Kleinfelters go to the grave never even knowing they have an intersex condition. So it's important that we don't use intersex as a broad brush for Whoa! We don't. We have no clue whether this is male, female, the chromosomes are one, genitalia another. That is that that is a small subset within the larger intersex umbrella. In fact, um, Leonard Sachs has done research on this. He's a MIT uh, graduate professor or something, super smart guy. He, he says like 99% of people with an intersex condition present pretty much no ambiguity in whether they are biologically male or female. So we don't want to say intersex means neither male nor female. So with other conditions like uh, uh, congenital adrenal hyperplasia which affects about one in every 12,000 people, you do have like XX chromosomes and male genitalia. I've got a friend who is XXXY, female genitalia, male genitalia, complete blend of male and female. And I guess that's how I'd word it. I don't see intersex as a third sex, in fact most Maybe most intersex people, according to the ISNA, the Intersex Society of North America, don't—they don't even argue that intersex means like a a third sex, other sex. I would see it as uh, a blend of male and female characteristics within the one percent of people who have one of the 16 to 20 intersex conditions. So, and I I, know—I look—I I come from a reformed tradition that can be. I got so many things to fill in the blank here. I, I don't like just punting to the theological systems or whatever. But if there was a thing called the fall, <laughs> whether you call it that or not, if you just think that things aren't the way they're supposed to be, and sometimes people are born with, ab, let's say, abnormalities. I don't even like birth defects can sound very negative. What would it look like? And we do know that exists, right? I mean, that's anybody would acknowledge that some people are born with ab, with with things that would not reflect maybe God's original design in creation or whatever, Um, what would that look like if there was a thing called the fall, if that touches every aspect of our human nature, sometimes psychology, sometimes part of our body, sometimes whatever, sometimes our desires, what would it look like if this thing called the fall had an effect on our sexual anatomy? To me, it doesn't sound outrageous to say it might look like something like the intersex conditions.
0: Uh, Justin. Where can I download Spiritual Warfare? <laughs> don't answer that, we don't have enough time. Um, for those of you who are asking, I just uh, kindly ask that you ask in accordance with the tone and uh, the courtesy to others, so please.
3: I just wanna say thank you for both of you being here. I, I've read a lot of your work and I appreciate both of you and the tone that you set, and I try to do that in my own life as well. Um, one of the questions that I have, I am gay and Christian and side A completely so and it took me a long time to get there so I'm pretty it's pretty important to me I guess you may um, want to
2: define side, side A because I don't think I'd that's cool that with term. the gays
3: we're, we're that's a side A yeah. side A would be my position yes. in this conversation yeah. okay. Okay. Um, my question I, I think I, I've never heard a great response to this I think it's, it all comes down to what is sin mm-hmm. right what is sin And um, and for those who who maybe take the Bible more, I mean, it really does have a lot to do with how you view the Bible also. So sin, well, the Bible says this is wrong, it's a sin. But for me anyway, like 98% of of the sins listed in the Bible, I, as well as people of many other faiths, as well as my atheist friends would go, yeah, stealing hurts somebody. Stealing uh, lust, envy, gluttony, uh, murder, these, these are sins that the Bible lists as sins, but they have a very clear and obvious detrimental impact on either me or the people to whom I, I do them. I've never had a great response from anybody or a compelling response that says, what is sinful about me loving and committing my life to another man? What is sinful about that beyond the Bible says it is? How does that hurt me? How does it hurt anybody? Thank you. That's Good.
0: Yeah.
1: You want this one just? <laughs> I, mean, I think it was directed at me. <laughs> thank you. Um, it's Matt, right? Uh, thank, thank you for being here, too. Um, um, it's, a gr- it's First of all, this is a fantastic question. I hope if you're here and you believe in a traditional view, you wrestle with this question. And um, I, I, I would say, I, I don't think we can reduce sin to whatever... Uh, does or doesn't harm another individual. Um, I, I do think that that, it, that is one eth- way of ethical reasoning, that if, it doesn't, if it's consensual and it doesn't harm another person, then it must be okay. I, I don't think that reflects New Testament ethics. I think there are various moral impulses for, de- for determining what is sin, what is not. Um, certainly harming another person might be one aspect of it. Um, Holiness is a major theme in the Bible. Be holy, for I'm holy. And some things just are good in and of themselves because they constitute the holiness, the otherness that reflects God in some way. Um, another moral impulse is something the Stoics used to actually talk about, and, and I think Judeo Christian ethics reflects it, is simply living according to creation, is the way Stoics used to put it, or a Judeo Christian way of putting it would be living according to God's creational design like that is a moral good in and of itself whether it harms doesn't harm well it doesn't harm but I mean even if we even if something might not harm another person it still might be not according to God's order of, of creation so I think there's I would say a, a Judeo-Christian way of ethical reasoning there's, there's usually multiple moral impulses lying behind that not just if it doesn't harm anybody then therefore it must must be okay and even like I mean secular Moral philosophers or ethicists like, like Jonathan Haidt, my favorite writers, you know, he talks about six different from an evolutionary perspective. He's a secular ethicist, six different moral impulses that, that humans have from an evolutionary perspective, you know, care and harm is one of them. Um, but there's like five others like, uh, submission, authority and, and loyalty and betrayal and others that, that, that reflect kind of, um, the moral impulse. So, um, I would say I I always begin with what is marriage? What is God's design for marriage and sexual and I believe sexual expression belongs within uh marriage and so we look at what is the purpose of marriage, what is the purpose of sex, and I, I would say we go from there. I think marriage does reflect a, a unity. I, I mean, I'm going too long, so let me just. It reflects the, the the coming together of unity within diversity that we see in creation, which is why marriage is woven into the fabric of Genesis one and two, and and really the entire scripture storyline. Um, I do think there is a procreation, not mandate that must flow from marriage, but I do believe that this relationship called marriage is ordered toward. Uh, procreation, even if it doesn't always result in, in procreation. But, I don't, that's, I
0: uh, hope that helps a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Justin, did you have a, um, a reply to that as well? Or? Uh,
2: well, you know, I, I, I think, uh, I, actually, I actually agree with you that harm to another person is not the only factor. Um, some of the later stuff I'm a little, uh, but you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I I'll go with you that far, yeah. Uh, I I won't say any more about that just to give more time for questions. But yeah, yeah, yeah. please.
4: Uh, Justin, I'm a huge fan of yours, and Preston, I'm hoping to be a fan of yours when I read your book. Um, but uh, you. I just, um, so I, I lead a, a Bible study for the LGBTQ community, which is exciting for me and the community that's involved. Um, but uh, one of the questions that I was wrestling with my pastor with was that, and you alluded to it, Justin, when you guys were talking about scriptural evidence on movement, and you were talking about slavery, and I think you also brought in like women in leadership or women in equality at the same time. Um, But one of the things that my pastor brought up to me, which kind of has brought me into a deeper study, is that we don't see, or he doesn't see, um, a movement of the homosexuality Concepts, you know, we we started out with. So I'm just going to start there. Like, what are your guys' thoughts, or do you have any thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, yeah um, William Webb is the guy who looked at those three categories in a book in 2001, where he looked at the scriptural trajectory on on women and slavery and and same sex relationships. He called it homosexuals, but um, and yeah, I, I would agree with that. That that we see a sort of in a, in a more of an pr- oppressive view of women in the Old Testament moving towards liberation. Like you see an ethic, they call it an ethical trajectory moving throughout Scripture from more of a, you know, man, it's a misogynistic culture and God's moving them away to more liber- liberation and equality, moving them back to Genesis 1 and 2. Slavery, same thing. I think some of the statements in the New Testament, you see Paul kind of gutting slavery from the inside out. It doesn't quite abolish it, but it's moving that direction, whereas with the basic definition of marriage and whether same-sex relationships are ever allowed, we don't see any movement in, in Scripture. We don't see any movement in Scripture on whether pe- God's people should care for the poor, <laughs> despite how some people are. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, so, so there, are, there are some movement ethical trajectories in Scripture with same-sex relationships and marriage. Um, William Webb, nor do I, do we see that movement. Now Justin's going to disagree.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, so, well, so here's the thing. So Webb's uh, uh, redemptive movement uh, heuristic is is just like you were saying a minute ago uh, that the question of whether something does harm to another person is not the only question we have to take into account when we look at whether something is sinful or not. I think this very specific uh, method of interpretation that looks at this very specific thing, or whether, the, whether the Bible takes a position that is substantially different from what the culture was taking and whether we see movement in Scripture, on the, you know, I think it's actually a very helpful thing to look at, but I don't think it's the only thing. I don't think you can build your whole theology on only looking at that in isolation. And... Um, What I appreciate about Webb uh, in his book, which is uh, Slaves, Women, and Homosexuals, is the name of the book, what I appreciate about him is that he does wrestle honestly with this question of how can we, when we look at passages about women's role in church or about slavery, say well that's influenced by the culture and so we don't apply those directly today. But then we look at a passage, you know, about, that condemns same-sex sexual behavior even in the context where it very clearly tells us the context is idolatry or gang rape or something, and say, yeah, but that applies to all same-sex sexual behavior, including in marriage today, you know? Like, how do we... That feels inconsistent. I think it is inconsistent, and I think... But I applaud him for wrestling with what is a standard, uniform way of approaching these that would give us these different answers. I think the mistake he makes is that he's trying after the fact to come up with a method of interpretation that will give him the answer he's already decided he wants. And when you have only three things you're looking at and you're trying to come up with a method of interpretation that will give you an answer on this, this, and this, and you already know what the answers are supposed to be, it's not that hard to come up with a rule. I mean, if if we're, I'm a math geek, if I give you a rule that's like, you know, the numbers uh, uh, five, yes, six, no, seven, yes. You know, what's the rule? Well, you know, you could say, well, you know, maybe it's uh, the rule is odd numbers, or maybe the rule is prime numbers, or maybe the rule is every number except six, like it's, it's, it's easy to do that after the fact when you know what the answer's supposed to be. And um, I think that his method is also much more helpful when you're looking at an issue like slavery or women's role where the Bible mentions it a lot of times, and you have a lot of evidence, versus something like same-sex sexual or something like same-sex marriage, which is never mentioned in the scriptures, or same-sex sexual behavior, which is only mentioned a few times and in very specific circumstances, I think in that case the noise outweighs the signal, and it makes it really hard to tell anything from that. Uh, the only other thing I'll say about that is, if you took this approach to folks, uh, you know, several hundred years ago in the church, and said let's apply this to slavery. I think they would say that you were a heretic. It was clearly not obvious to them that the Bible was leading in this direction. It's only obvious to us now, looking back.
0: Okay, please. And um, we are short on time. I'm so sorry. Do your best to keep the questions quick and concise, so we can get to as many as possible. I'll
5: try. Um, Thank you both so much for the tone that you are setting, and. bringing this um, conversation forward. Um, my question is about marriage because um, traditionally and historically, marriage was more of a, a contract that generally um, put women in the role of property and as um, bearers of children, and that was kind of their obligation. They did, And this, these concepts around equality in marriage are very new and very modern. Um, and we have as Christians, allowed ourselves to be open to the movement of God to look back at scripture and re-understand what those things mean and allow that to shift our understanding of marriage, that it is no longer considered to be a contract um, and it is considered to be something that two um, people enter into by choice and through equality and mutuality. And I, I am curious why we can allow that shift... But not extend that to the LGBTQ community, and not see that that same partnership and choosing is an extension of what we now understand marriage to be.
2: Thank you. I'm starting to feel bad because you're getting all the hard questions. I think that's directed me at me. You.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Grace, fantastic question. Um, I would um, marriage as a as a. But a con- when you say contract, you mean like um, like arranged marriages or something like that, right? Or or more than that? Or okay, so well, um, well, let me just say that. So like there were a, there wasn't really one cultural view of marriage. There, was, there were several different things going on in the ancient world. Um, Stephanie Kuntz wrote a great book called Marriage: A History, and looks at all these different kind of cultural forms in which marriage, marriage took. Um, a lot of them were very misogynistic and demeaning, not all of them though. Um, but the, these are all like, and, and you see some of this in the old Testament. This is where I think within the old Testament law, when God comes down, meets Israel, he, he reveals to them an imperfect law. To meet them where they're at he improves upon kind of their surrounding culture that's why we see some with from our lens we look at some of the stuff in the torah we're like come on like really like if a man has two wives make sure you you know treat the son of the unloved wife better. you know he's like whoa what just nip it in the bud tell him not to have two wives right well he he meets them where they're at to move them along to where he wants them to be now sex difference as a fundamental part of what marriage is, is built into Genesis 1 and 2. And again, that's always going to be really significant for me. I do believe that whatever ethical movement we see in Scripture is moving toward a Genesis 1 and 2 ideal. Again, Genesis 1 and 2, equality of women, goodness of creation, sovereignty of God, intimacy of God, the, I mean, the grace and personalness of God. There's these fundamental themes there in this sex difference. Not the, the coming together of two sexually different persons in a one flesh union is woven into the fabric of that. So that when I talk about marriage being between a man and a woman, um, I'm not talking about just some cultural artifact that was, you know, in the day of Israelites' culture. It is built into the very fabric of creation. So I, I do think it's different. And even today, even, the, even when we consider marriage in terms of, you know, romance and falling in love, like that is our cultural moment now. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not. But it, it's not like we have finally discovered like what marriage is all about is two humans falling in love, and, and there's lots of romance involved and everything. Like that's that's our last 150 year cultural moment of of marriage. Everything um, you have anything to add?
2: I mean, I, I feel like I I feel like you're getting the hard questions. So I'm used to going <laughs> to spaces where like I'm getting all the hard questions. So I'm kind of just sitting back, being like, okay, you can deal with that one. <laughs> I won't say anything else. I'll,
6: I feel, I feel bad. Because oh no! <laughs> there we go. I'll just, I'm I don't just. I think gonna, I'm gonna break yeah. the trend. No, you
2: stay here. I'm just. Gonna. Um, this I
1: is do- weird, by the way. You have these. <laughs> it's, a stress ball. it's a stress ball. We have stress balls because
2: this is a stressful conversation. <laughs> and they have smiley faces on them, so you should give these out to everybody at your church. I be like, now we're gonna talk about sexuality. <laughs> And then, and then, you're always taking it there, dude. Like and then next week we're going to talk about gender identity, so you need two stress to just,
1: I'm sorry. Yeah, follow that up. Good luck.
6: Well, I mean, it's uh, more evidence of the civility of this conversation that we can all laugh together even after using our stress balls. So um, my, I, I may be able to at least refocus our conversation. I'm really interested in this diagnosis of the American church. Um, I grew up in an extremely conservative church community, um, so I have a real insider's knowledge of sort of a conservative view on this whole conversation. And um, I wanna use an analogy that's very different than the ones we've been using. We've sort of been talking about slavery as an analogy. I, I'm so
0: sorry, can we yeah. get to a question yeah. quickly? I'm just so sorry. We no, no, I understand. Yeah. Um,
6: my analogy is I, I, I grew up as a, a fan of a band, I'm, I hope somebody's heard of here called Petra. <coughs> and they were a part of a 20 year controversy where the evangelical church in America condemn them for playing rock music and it, this is important because it took them that long of receiving condemnation from the pulpit to change people's minds and say actually the Holy Spirit is working through this mm-hmm. now I look at Justin and I see Petra because I, what, whatever else you think about the things he said today I see the Holy Spirit working in his ministry in his life the same way a lot of people in the 70s and 80s saw the Holy Spirit working in Petra and I wonder, in 20 years, are we going to look at this as the same thing and say, did the evangelical Christians, again, in this following the same pattern, miss the opportunity for the self-correction and reformation of the church? Mm-hmm. When you start to see a pattern, and this is not the only example, it makes you start to doubt the epistemic judgment of the community as a whole. Okay. Does that make sense? as a sure. question, and I, I want to know what you think about that and, and how you see yourself as uh, not being a part of that that history.
2: I, you know, I, I want to say, I don't think that's... Uh, I, I, I appreciate what you're asking, I, it, but I, I want to kind of jump to Preston's defense here for a second. I, I just want to say, like, I, I see the Holy Spirit at work in, uh, in, in Preston's life and in the work that he's doing, and in in churches that are on preston 's side of this and i I want to be uh, and i, I, I mean i 've asked similar questions myself, so like I really appreciate you know uh, what you 're saying you 're very kind to me, thank you but i just i I, I do want to jump in because i don 't you know since we 've had several uh, tough questions for Preston here i don't i 't want Preston to get beat <laughs> up on i i, I want to say I think that it 's important that we recognize the spirit working. Uh, even in spaces where we don't have everything right all the time, because we don't have everything right. None of us have everything right. And if we have to get everything right in order for us to be the church, then we'll never be the church. Um, so, yeah, I just I just want to say well, that. I
1: appreciate that. Yeah, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't. It's hard. To, I don't know how to respond to that. Um, maybe in twenty years we'll see that I'm Petra. Maybe in twenty years we'll see that Justin's Petra and. I'll, let you know in 20 years. I don't know. I mean, it's... I do just know.
0: Please. Well, thank you both, both for being here. Um, questions for Justin? Um, so, Preston said that you two agree on polyamory. Is this correct? Yeah, do you... I spoke for you, so I don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, so um, I yeah my my view is so this is this is this is the thing. I don't living in the LGBTQ world with a lot of LGBTQ friends as I do uh, I have friends in a lot of different um, situations. I have friends who are in polyamorous relationships. Um, I know that they have been uh, in many cases beaten down in some of the same ways that I have. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I do not go around uh, talking about polyamory, it's not an issue that I've made my issue, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, it, you know, that said, yeah, my, my position has been uh, consistently one of advocating for uh, monogamous marriage. Um,
0: um, yeah. Could you work through that scripturally for me so I can better understand how you process scripture?
2: Uh, in terms of why I you're not support, affirming
0: polyamory. Yeah.
2: So well now I get to be pressed. Up. Um, <laughs> so uh, I this well let me start by saying this is not an issue that I am. It's not because it's not an issue I normally talk about. It's not something that I have a, a quick answer ready for you. As you might have imagined, President, and I both speak on the rest of this stuff so much that there are certain topic <laughs> questions that we get asked a lot and we've got quick answers to. Um, <laughs> uh, I, my, my, my short answer is um, I, I do see some of the same uh, redemptive movement stuff that Preston uh, has, you know, uh, talked about, and, and we talked about earlier, uh, in a move away from the Old Testament support of polyamory and the issues that were uh, going on there. Um, and I, uh, I, I don't think. I don't see, I don't know how to say this in a, in a way that's going to be helpful. Um, and this is part of why, like, I would rather that churches, when they're talking about some of these issues, take time to get to know people and have these conversations uh, before things become a big mm-hmm. thing. So, you, so you're, you're, and I don't know if this is your intent or not, but you, you've quite cleverly put me in, in the position that Preston is in, uh, which is a position where my theological view is a view that I know some of the people in this room might be hurt by. Um, and I recognize that and that's actually precisely why if I were going to publicly like talk about it and get in into it, I would probably wanna sit down with some of the mm-hmm. folks who are affected first and talk about how to talk about mm-hmm. this uh, before I would feel comfortable like having a conversation. It's not because I don't know what I think but because I wanna be that Christian who I spoke of earlier who um, knows well enough to know what I don't know mm-hmm. and to have enough humility to admit that there are things that I could learn and there are things that I could put in mm-hmm. better. And I I, I wish I, I, there are Bible passages and arguments that come to mind right now and I'm just not sure that they would be super helpful <laughs> right now. So that's not a great answer for you. But that said, if it's an issue of interest to you and you want to talk about it at some point, let me know and I'd be happy to mm-hmm. have the conversation. because. It's not a conversation I've had much of.
1: Yeah. I have Thank a real so quick much. quandary about that. Not, not like a definitive whatever, but like I don't... If marriage, if sex difference is irrelevant for the meaning of what marriage is, then if, if marriage is simply based on consensual love between two humans, I think the two in that equation is somewhat arbitrary um, if sex difference... Is also arbitrary. So I, to me, I don't, and this is not, please, I'm, I've been accused of the slippery slope every single day, so this is not a slippery slope argument. I think I mean, the, the, the sexual ethic that affirms same sex marriage, I think very logically should affirm polyamory as well, personally. And you have more scriptural evidence for polyamory. Polygamy is very different than polyamory, but it's, it's I mean, maybe a a step in that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think you do have more, I would say you have more biblical evidence for polyamory than same sex marriage. There, I said
0: it. Okay. Can (laughs) we, thank uh, you both so much. Can we have this? I'm so sorry. I'm against
1: polyamory, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I would, I mean, polyam. I think polyamory is rooted in male and female coming together. So the two becoming one flesh, that are two sexually different persons, I think are both equally similar. So because I affirm sex difference in marriage, I also affirm that the number should be
2: two. You can absolutely argue, though, that it, the two becoming one flesh is the two becoming one flesh and is not dependent on uh, uh, on gender. I mean, that's, I, I think that's a separate issue. I think that is a slippery slope argument.
0: But Okay, I'm so sorry. It's <laughs> got to be the last question. I apologize. We were just short on time, so please. <laughs> Thank you for the rest of you, I apologize.
4: I wanna thank you both for the courage to come up here and just to share with the church, because I think one of the, the brokenness in the church is that we forget that we all fall short of the glory of God and only God is holy. um, but I do have a question for Justin and you had mentioned before that the Adam and Eve thing and so I'm just referring to Genesis where after God had made the animals and he said um, he blessed them and said be fruitful and multiply after he made Adam and Eve he blessed them and said uh, be fruitful and multiply and even on Noah's ark with the animals God bring one male and one female and so it seems like part of God's blessing is for multiplication and reproduction and I don't see the same thing with same-sex marriage, same-sex relationship. Unfortunately, it breaks my heart because then it leads to, there's no reproduction. There's, there's no, it pretty much leads to extinction, which is not what seems to be in God's design for us. So how would you, I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Thanks for that question. So um, <clears throat> that one I'm more used to talking about. Uh <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so I, the, the a couple of things about that, um, I, I said before, and I'll say again, I think what we get in that passage is uh, descriptive rather than prescriptive. In other words, uh, it's, it's telling us what happened, uh, but it's not saying every marriage must be like this one. Now, when you've got Adam and Eve, and you're trying to populate a whole planet, obviously it's important that they have a, a reproductive union, uh, that's no longer the case. Uh, you know, we we have an Earth now that deals with questions of overpopulation and all this kind of stuff. Um, there are plenty of of children in need of adoption. Uh, we're we're not facing a, a shortage of you know humanity is going to go extinct if some people don't have kids. Um, Jesus, when Jesus talks about marriage, in a different context, talking about divorce, uh, he says, uh, you know the. Not everyone can accept this teaching, but, but, you know, those who can accept it should accept it. In other words, this allusion to the the idea that um, there can be a teaching that is for a lot of people or even the majority of people, but everybody's situation is different. We've all got our own raw materials. Um, Some couples choose not to have kids. Some couples are not able to have kids. My parents tried for 10 years to have kids before I was born and had been told by all the doctors that they weren't going to have kids. Um, As it happens, the doctors were wrong. But sometimes there are situations where people, even if they very much want kids, can't. Or people get married at a point in life, late in life, where uh, reproduction is just not going to happen. But the church does not say to those couples, you can't get married because you can't reproduce. Um, So I I think that... Uh, while reproduction is a is a wonderful outcome of marriage for many couples, I don't think that reproduction is required for a marriage to be a marriage. That would be my, my answer.
0: Preston, 60 seconds.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's descriptive, but I do think it's prescriptive. I mean, the language in 2.24 in Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother. He doesn't say Adam and Eve shall... He's not even talking about Adam and Eve anymore, per se. He's making a very generic statement in Genesis 2.24. And, and Jesus picks up on that. Like, it's not just a Genesis thing. It's not just an Old Testament thing. Like, Jesus reaffirms that. The um, when, when, when he says not everybody can accept this statement, he's not talking about not everybody can accept male-female marriage. He's talking about, you know, later than that, remember... Jesus is talking about staying married. He's confronting divorce. And Peter says, well, gosh, if we can't divorce our wives, then who can, you know, (laughs) who can do this, you know? And Jesus says not everybody is going to be able to stay married and and stick it out when it gets tough. So, um, yeah, I I just, I don't um, think there's strong evidence in favor of sex difference in marriage just being descriptive and not not prescriptive. I would say my five-second summary yeah, I don't think marriage has to result in procreation for it to be a valid marriage. But it, because I believe primarily sex difference is part of what marriage is, it is it is structured toward procreation. Um, I think that makes a difference. But that raises probably more questions.
0: Well, we'll take all the questions that were submitted and we'll do this again, shall we? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Everybody, please uh, thank Preston and Justin.